You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. This morning's um, scripture reading is our uh, selections from 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 25. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and the gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another, be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, Those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. I'm thankful for David uh, for the last several weeks leading us and guiding us in what sort of a, a survey of 1 Peter. We're not walking verse by verse. Even in that text right there, there were some passages that we sort of jumped over just for time's sake. It is not to devalue those texts at all, but this has been a sort of a survey of 1 Peter um, be, and what we wanted, what Dave, Dave had a vision for this series of, uh, we, we originally started with the idea of like calling it Govember, like a, a month of going and engaging others with the love of Christ as Christians. And God led him and us to First Peter. And, and I love that God, the Holy Spirit led him to um, begin with what First Peter begins with, and that is to understand our identity in Christ. In a culture today that is consumed with who's who and needing to put a label on this or that, we have turned to First Peter to identify and to clarify not only who we are, but what it is we are to do and to be as God's people. We are not preaching this verse by verse, through this book, but we're grabbing hold of this book like a survey and we're kind of looking at the overview of the, the who we are and the, the why we are what we are and how God wants us to engage and reach others. So we look at chapter one, verse one and two, when it really begins, this is what David led us to begin with. We're going to look at two texts as we launch into today's explanation of the long text that John just read. And we shouldn't forget how it begins. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, intending that there's purpose there, like the dispersed has happened by God's foreknowledge through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, meaning as we're dispersed, he's working in us, he's working on us, he's changing us, growing us to be obedient, to be sprinkled by the blood, with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then we come over to the text that John began reading today in chapter two, verse nine, we see sort of a, a similar, uh, but even a more detailed explanation of who we are and why we are called to be who we are. Verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here we notice in these two texts, the who and the why, the who, we are exiles. We are strangers, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood set apart, a holy nation, 
and we belong to somebody. We don't belong to this community, this community, this community, this culture, this time period, the, this day and age. No, we belong to God as our identity. Why? Why did God do this? Why are we identified this way? Well, we are identified this way because we have a mission that he has for us. We have a purpose and we're launched on purpose. And we see it here in verse 9 that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us. That we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not supposed to live praising lesser lights. We're called as exiles and strangers living differently, praising his marvelous light. Not the light of this or the light of this, or the, but his marvelous light. The who? We are exiles. We were once not, but now we are. Why? Because it's our mission to proclaim his praises above every other praise. So today, as we wrap up this month-long series, I want us to spend time looking at that text that John read from, learning how we proclaim him to others as exiled people, as strangers in the land that we are in. And the answer to the how is this. We are to live for Christ, we're to follow Christ, and we're to hope in Christ. And before we unpack that, let's pray. Lord, help us not only understand this, more importantly, Lord, help us to submit to this. This is hard. Help us to apply this. Help us to believe in this calling. May it be greater to us than any other invitation we get from any other community, from any other time period, from any other place. Help us to embrace this word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> How do we do this? Well, first of all, we need to understand that we must live for Christ. How do we do that? Well, we see here in this context in chapter 2, verse 11, and 12, there are two ways we do that. We abstain from sin and we live lives that honor other people. Let's take those one at a time. We see in chapter 2, verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Abstain from sin. How do we accomplish the mission that praises him more than any other thing? Well, the first thing we need to understand is we're strangers. We should be strangers to the sins. We should be strangers to what's going on out there. So we need to abstain from sin. Now, some might say, you might say, that can't really mean what it means, right? I mean, this is 2021, and the desires that we have are pretty intense, and they're different than when it was when Peter wrote this. I mean, let's break this down to what it could mean. Let's dissect this and try to carefully consider what else it could mean. Truly, there's a deeper meaning here than just saying no to that, no to that, no to that. 
There's got to be something more complex, more nuanced with some other grand notion, some other more enlightened idea that we can apply to today's culture. Abstain from sin. Literally, distance yourself from sinful desires. Distance yourself from. Abstain from sinful desires. I'm saddened to say that so many of us who attend churches in this day and age, especially in our culture, have shifted so far away from the practical application of this very clear imperative. We have compromised what we want to consider to be sinful desires. Our consciences nowadays seem seared. We'd rather interpret scripture by our feelings or by our inward desires or our intellect instead of just looking at it and going, okay, that's hard and submitting our desires and feelings to that. So how can we get back to doing this? How can we get our consciences back? How can we come back to the mission as strangers and exiles to do this? Well, it's really as simple as ABC, really. ABC, we need to admit that we actually have desires that are sinful. Yeah, you do. I do. The popular voice of the day wants to urge us to accept our desires as normal and pure and and okay. So, So we justify actions with our thoughts or even sometimes we say it out loud with things like, my hate for you as an Iranian or an Arab is justified because, fill in the blank, my distrust and my hate for you as a black person is what it is because my hate and distrust for you as a white person or a brown person is what it is because my holding on and keeping count of all the wrongs you have done to me is justified because my lust for her, my lust for him is justified and and not wrong and should be explored because my demand to be heard to be noticed, to be seen is justified because we could keep going on and on. Okay, so I will. My right to call out others and to point the finger at them is justified because my right to call out and slander publicly famous people is justified because my same-sex attraction should not be criticized, but instead celebrated because my treatment of men, especially men who say they lead, is justified because my 
treatment of women or girls is justified because before we even can begin to explore the validity of any of these desires, let's begin first by admitting that we all have desires that are sinful. You do. I do. Peter did. Paul did. Listen, Grandma. Yeah, Grandma. You all have an idea what Grandma's supposed to be like, right? Even Grandma has sinful desires. We need to admit that. It's easy to point it out in other people, but hey, we must admit we have these in us. B, another way to come back is, next step is we ask God to show you what those sinful desires are. Ask God to show and reveal to me, God, what are those things in me that I think, that I feel, that causes me to justify these actions or the way I live or the way I react to things? Let me ask you this. How often do you take your cravings and your desires and give them over to God? Do you ever pause before you react before you react and you say, Lord, I feel this way. Is this right? What's in me that's causing me to feel this way that makes me want to do this? And do you surrender to him once he shows you what it is that's in you? Do you seek scriptural, biblical references that are going to help you fight against it? Or do you just say, you know what, that's too hard. It's okay to be me. Oh, church, let us be a people that will say, oh, Lord, I'm going to submit to whatever it is you reveal to me. I will submit to it. We need to admit that we have these sinful desires. We need to ask God to show us what they are. And see, this is really complex here. See, is this stay away from them. When God shows you these are the desires that lead to sin, <clears throat> run away. Stay away. Listen, it is not legalistic to stay away from communities that endorse the desires of sin. We need to stay away from any device or tool that helps me or feeds the sinful desires that I have. Let me give you some examples. If you struggle with lust, there's no explainable reason why you should have open access to the internet without some sort of filter or accountability. You should starve the source. Bring somebody in to help you. Stay away from the device or the tools or the communities that's just feeding, fanning the flame, that fire of sinful, desi sinful desires in you. If you're outraged by what's going on in the city or in the country or in the world, you might want to stay away from groups that's just going to 
make, feed that little frustration and aggravation and turn it into this anger. We need to stay away from any lie that tempts us to accept these desires as God-ordained. It's God-given. God made you that way. So therefore, you should pursue that attraction to her or to him. There are groups, and we can find them, that will support any and every sinful desire we have. To do that would mean we're living for ourselves and not for Christ. This is what it means to live for self, to pursue all these support groups that are gonna help me stay me. But to live for Christ is to say Christ is more important. If I, when I made my vows to my wife, on January 6th, 1996, in a way, what I was saying to her, I am going to abstain from any and other desire to connect with any other woman, any other way. I'm going to abstain from the desire to win every argument. I'm going to abstain from being a domineering, dominating person. I don't, I'm going to abstain from the desire to try to rule you and put you in your place. No, no, I don't. That would be to live for me. But when I give myself to her, I'm saying I'm living for us. I'm going to give my life, I'm going to lay it down so that you can be healthy and growing. Unfortunately, in this day and age, we can find any and every community that's going to stoke the fire of that sinful desire in you. Are you living for Christ or are you going to live for yourself? Are you going to chase after those supporters that will just speak into your life to say, it's okay to stay where you are. In fact, you need to become even louder with your sinful desire, not quieter. We must be vigilant to abstain from these sinful desires and pursue and explore and entertain a lifestyle that embraces Christ. Even if we feel, I mean, listen to the language, even if we feel strange or alone, what exiles are. It's what they feel like sometimes. It's what I feel like sometimes. I'm the only one not doing this. Why should we be vigilant then to abstain from these things? Well, because we're told to, one, it's always important. It's his way to be glorified. It's, it's, it's a way for us to accomplish the mission he has for us to glorify him as the marvelous light that's greater than any other enlightened idea around. Fighting for abstaining from sinful desires helps us magnify and glorify God. But I think also we see it in verse 11, another reason why we must be vigilant to abstain from these things. I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. We're exiles on a mission. 
And in order for us to proclaim the praises of the one who has called us, we must live for him. And part of that means we must abstain from sinful desires, but also it means we must live lives that honor other people. We must honor others if we're going to live for Christ. Verses 12 through 17, you might be one that in that first verse, verse 11, like, amen, yes, let's abstain from all that stuff. And then we get into this and you're like, whoa, that looks a little harder. And it is. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. So that when, I like that, it's kind of encouraging to me that when, it, when I'm slandered, it's not an if, when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works. Does that say observe your fancy words? No, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So here's how we honor others. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. By doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. To honor others this way means we must abstain from sinful desires, yes. But I would say to do this, we must abstain from the sinful desire of pride. This is hard. Because we don't want to submit our pride to the Lord sometimes. But I know for me to do this, because I see this and I watch this on the news and I, I see what's happening here and whatever, and I get so bound, I get so frustrated, I start to get angry and I have to stop and say, Lord, I don't know all the levels of what's happening I am truly ignorant to every single detail. I'm not in every meeting. I don't know everything that you know. Help me. Praise you. Even now. You talk about bringing people to the marvelous light. Praising God even when our authority figures aren't praiseworthy. Listen to the people. Let me, let me just ask you this. Do, do all people matter? Do all lives matter? Okay, that, you're a little hesitant on that. Let me, let me just ask you this way. Um, do, do white lives matter? Do black lives matter? Do brown lives okay, matter? Do young lives matter? Okay, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving a lot out. Like, all lives matter. So let's get a little blunt. Do unbelieving, stone-throwing people who want to slander you, do their lives matter? You're getting it. 
Do emperors' lives matter? <laughs> A little harder now, isn't it? Do governors' lives matter? Peter even goes into the situation of a master and his slave. Even evil masters' lives. I like in verse 15, this kind of gives me that little, feeds my little flesh part of me. It says, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people. I'm like, yeah, they are foolish. Do foolish lives matter? Yes. And just in case you're wondering, verse 17, honor everyone. If we have a desire to dishonor any of these people that we just talked about, then what kind of desire is that? I'll give you a hint. It's one that we should abstain from. It's one we just talked about most likely a sinful desire. Husbands, when is it ever right to speak negatively about your wife or to speak down to her? Wives, when is it ever right to speak negatively or condescending about your husbands? Employees, when is it ever right to speak ill or maliciously about your boss to other employees? Citizens, see where I'm going? I didn't go there, it's where Peter went. When is it really right to maliciously slander a government official? What Peter says here, it, he talks about Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. How many times do we feel justified to yell at this official, this official, this referee? I'm talking about it like our mission is to proclaim the praises of the one who has saved us. Our mission is in our identity. I am to be a man of praise. Amen? I'm supposed to be a woman of praise, you would say. A, a person who's praising the things worthy of praise. A one people who's calling out and pointing people to the marvelous light, not just how dark things are continuing to get. Here is our king. I must, in my identity, point people to the praise, especially when we feel things are spiraling downward so fast. Where are the people that are on their knees saying, well, he's worthy, he's worthy. Yeah, but what about this guy? And I didn't vote for this person. Right, he's worthy. He's worthy. We must live to fulfill the mission that he has for us as exiles, as strangers in this land. It's uncomfortable. That's the whole idea of being an exile and being a stranger. It is not comfortable. We must live for Christ and not for ourselves. Secondly, we, to fulfill our mission, we must follow Christ. These, aren't, these last two aren't as long. One of the more popular explanations and excuses that we give 
for accepting our sinful desires as a norm. We've kind of alluded to it. We say, well, they were wrong or they are wrong or they're living wrongly or they're doing things unjustly. We, we get that. Peter understood that. If anybody understood that, it was Peter who was crucified upside down by the authorities that he just said we should honor. We say things like, it's just too un- difficult, it's uncomfortable, it's hard, or God would not want me to go through that. Nowadays, we even accept, well, it hurts my feelings. It makes me sad. Listen to the call to follow Christ. Verse 21, chapter 2. For you were called to this. Your exiles, chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Verse 21. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. How often... Do we ask, what if Jesus did not honor other people? What if Jesus acted like I act when I'm insulted? When I feel like a privilege or a right is being taken away from me? What if Jesus acted like I act? What if Jesus acted like I act when I feel the threat of being canceled? What if Jesus chose to follow his human impulse or any human impulse to turn away from discomfort in his life or or pain and instead say, I don't want my feelings to get hurt. I, I mean, this is the son of God who had people talking down to him. What if Jesus yelled at the referee like I yell at the referee? Or posted something about the Roman politicians like, we might post something. What if Jesus decided not to live the life of an exile, but instead dove all into the culture, the way of life, the norms of society, and and didn't abstain from those things, but instead drank it all in? Would his mission have been accomplished? Well, we see here in verse 21, for you were called to this, Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Let me ask you, this season in your life, whose steps are you following? Are you living for Christ? Are you following Christ? Back in Matthew chapter 16, Verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That does not sound like a life of comfort. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will 
find it? Whose steps are you following? Do you live for Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you live for and follow Jesus to a home that you haven't seen yet? In order to do that means we must also hope in Christ. That's the third way we live on this mission, in this mission that Christ has for us. Notice the help that we have as Peter writes this. Remember, he is writing to people he loves. He says in this letter, he wants to encourage them. It sounds like he's discouraging. He wants to encourage them. In verse 2, verse 11, he even says things like, dear friends, I'm urging you. There's love in this as exiles on a mission. How can we find encouragement to live for Christ and to follow Christ? The answer is what we read in chapter 3 and then chapter 5. We hope in Christ above all other things. For time's sake, I won't reread all the things that John read, but in chapter 3, we see in verse 8, in Christ, we belong to him with other people. Be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, compassionate. You're doing this with others. You're not alone. You may feel like a stranger. You may feel like you're in exile. You may feel all alone in your beliefs, whatever. You're not alone. In Christ, we belong with others. In Christ, we see in verse 9, we will inherit a blessing from Christ. In Christ, we see in verse 10 through 12, we trust that God sees all that is good and he sees all that is evil. In Christ, we trust him to see that and to know that. In verse 12, we see that in Christ, we can come straight to God the Father in prayer. Verse 14, we see that in Christ, we are blessed. Even though you feel like a stranger and an exile and lonely, you're blessed in Christ. He's with you. He sees you. He's helping you, which is what we see in verses 15 through 17. In Christ, we can be holy because Christ is holy. And in Christ, we have his holy support for us. Verse 18, we see in Christ, we can come to God the Father specifically because Christ took the hit and the punishment that we deserved. And in Christ, we too can be alive. We go back to that text in Matthew 16 where it says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. It goes on, verse 16, I mean, uh, yeah, verse 26 for what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Listen to this, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will reward each according to what he has done. To live for Christ, to follow Christ can only be done if we hope in Christ. 
that we come to the end of 1 Peter, listen to how Peter wraps up this encouraging word to the exiles who are dispersed by God's will for God's glory in verse 6 of chapter 5. And maybe make this your prayer coming into Advent season, your prayer today as you're with me frustrated at all the things that you see going or all the things that we've held on to that maybe we treasure too much, maybe we treasure, I don't know, but, but God will reveal it. And when he reveals it, we look at something like this and we can just pray this. Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Pause. God's hand is mightier than the emperor's hand. God's hand is mightier than that community that's telling you, come, come, we've got what you need, we've got what you need. God's hand is mightier. What is he gonna do with his hand? Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you proper time casting all of your cares on him why would we do that because he cares about you when a world where it seems like nobody cares all they want to do is insult you and tear you down and take from you God in his mighty hand cares for you. So verse 8, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. There was a time in my life where I felt like I was the only one taking a stand for my purity, for my future wife, for my future children, for the church, for the cause of Christ. I was alone, I was alone, I was alone. This verse, God spoke to me, said, you're not alone. There's people all over the world that are right now praying just like you're praying. Do you believe that? Verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore. He will establish, he will strengthen, and he will support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. In Christ, we have the statement, mission accomplished. As exiles, as we close up, how do we fulfill the mission to proclaim the praises of Christ our King? We embrace the identity that he gives to us, that claims us, that holds us, that gives us purpose. We recognize his work to grow us and Fancy word for that is sanctify us. And it's usually happening through sufferings and it's on purpose with a purpose. And we live for Christ, we follow Christ and we hope in Christ. The one who saves our souls, the one who has dominion over all things, the one who says it is finished. 
There is the alternative. You can live for yourself. Live for the approval of this culture and the popular movement where they say, that was good. I mean, we don't want to be canceled. So we live for ourselves. You could follow the crowd. You'll always be able to find that popular author or that movement that's going to support whatever inward craving you're wrestling with. In the short term, that will be much easier than taking up a cross, denying yourself, following Jesus. You can hope in yourself. Ah, but if we're honest, here's where the rub is. Because deep down, when we lay our head down on the pillow at night, we find no hope in ourselves. Deep down, you know that your work, your effort, your good stuff is not enough. It'll never be finished. So my dear friends, I urge you as we wrap up this, as you pursue your identity in Christ and your mission in Christ, where he's placed you, hope in Christ above everything. In all of our sufferings, whether it's relocating, whether it's moving, whether it's changing jobs, whether it's sickness or health, stages of life, there's always purpose right there for you under God's dominion to say, he is the marvelous light. He is the better one. He is the one who has done it all. And as we close this series, we look again back at that very first chapter in that second verse at our identity, which says, a chosen living exile dispersed abroad according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient. Is that all that it says? No. To be sprinkled with the blood of Christ. What Peter is saying, Christ in his redemption has done it. It's finished. Go, celebrate, live out loud as strangers, exalting the one whose blood has been applied to your life. And be free, brothers and sisters, to honor everyone. Live for him, follow him, hope in him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you. For the gift that he has, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. That we who believe in him will not have to face eternity separated from you. I thank you for those of us who are following Christ, who have been given the faith to trust in Christ that we've been given the mission to live for Christ. Will you help us, O oh Lord, reveal to us our sinful desires and, and give us the strength and the faith and the hope to surrender them to you today, this week, so that, Lord, wherever you launch us and propel us, that we could proclaim the praises of the only one worthy, worthy, 